0: That is the glorious invitation for us this morning to come, to behold, and to worship the holy God. It's my pleasure to welcome you once again to By Grace for joining us here live or or through the live stream. We're glad that you are here to join us in that holy pursuit of knowing, loving, serving, and beholding our holy God. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. You might know this as Galatians. It's fun. I didn't say Samuel yet. <laughs> for those of you joining us for the first time, or perhaps for the first time in a long time, we've spent a long time working our way verse by verse through the book of Samuel. And we wrapped that up last week. And so today, we're going to jump right in to a new... Uh, book of the Bible and continue our endeavor to preach and to go as a community verse by verse through books of the Bible. So today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 and today we're going to read together the first two verses. Galatians chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. And let us all remember and celebrate that this is God's word, spoken, written, recorded, and passed down to us, that we might hear it and receive it as the word of God. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galicia. please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are indeed gathered here on this day. We are grateful that you bid us come, that we would behold afresh and together, that you have made yourself known to us. Father, we praise you that you have spoken, that you have given us messengers who speak on your behalf, that we might know you and worship you as you intend. Father, draw our hearts and our minds in the purity and holiness of this truth and meet with us. Bring conviction and comfort Bring hope and mercy to a people who usually suffer the idols of false hope and the failure to give as to receive mercy. Come and meet with your people and make us more and more like you. We ask you to do it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people agree. It is a little weird that uh, it doesn't take me very long to read the passage for today. (laughs) There's about four more minutes back in our world, so I'm excited about that. But I also want to warn us. I want to warn us of the dangers of moving slowly through this letter. Not that we won't do that because we will but rather that we do so with an eye to the whole and never lifting one part against or above the rest. We will go intentionally and deliberately through this letter because every element in it is so valuable, so preciously important. But do not think that we are free to do with these words whatever we want, because we are not. As we see today in the very first word of the very first verse, this letter has an author, the Apostle Paul. And Paul, if you want to know more about his story and background, you can see his incredible conversion In the book of Acts chapter 9, if you've never read that before, I urge you and beg you to go and read the story of an enemy of God miraculously becoming God's chief advocate on earth with great peril and sacrifice and suffering to accomplish the task with which he was entrusted. The Apostle Paul has seen and studied the Old Testament in a way none in this room have. Let me be very clear the Old Testament was Paul's Bible, and he knew it so well. Not only did he know it conceptually, not only did he know the people and the times and the stories, the eras, kings and judges, the times and days of Abraham or Moses, but he also knew the prophets. He knew the suffering that prophets endured, so when the Lord called him, chose him, and instructed him that he was to bear a message to the world, Paul had a better idea of what that might mean than I think most of us today do. In our study through Samuel, one of the things that, it, that was challenging to me as a preacher but encouraging to me as a person was the whispering nature of the Christ in that text. God was active even when his name was absent. That gives me great courage in my life to know that God is with his people even when they can't see exactly what he's up to. He hears their prayers. I love the expectancy of David believing that he will speak to God and that God will hear and move according to the needs that Paul sees, the circumstances Paul fe- I mean uh, David fears, that is still true for Paul. Paul in many ways understands the life and ministry of David in a way that we don't, but that is not to distance us, it's to draw our ear that we would listen to one Who knows? So, I'm also excited because we get to get very explicitly clear together on Sunday mornings. The whispers of Christ become the shouts of Christ's people. The Old Testament was Paul's Bible, but as he expounded that Bible, he continued to expand that Bible for us. So when we read here, verse 1, Paul, that first word means that what follows comes from the pen of a specific man in a specific moment in the story arc of redemption. And that specificity is good news for us because the gospel has always been given in an embodied form this is one of the things that makes the christian claims different from everyone else everyone else has an authority that offers abstract and ethereal truths we offer embodied truth god has come god has spoken god is at work in his creation And so as we see Paul explaining the scriptures of old to us, he's never inventing a new religion. The apostle Paul is not interested in new ideas. He is interested solely in explaining who God has revealed himself to be. That means that Paul An apostle is not Paul the inventor. He is not Paul the thinker, though his wisdom can still confound. One of my favorite nuggets to be found in one of the letters of Peter is Peter telling the church wide that uh, some things that Paul says are kind of hard to understand. Right? Just as the other scriptures can be. Peter's masterfully moving the church to see that the letters that Paul pens are Scripture with the same authority and trust that they had of the old they receive in the present. Sometimes when we say Old Testament and New Testament, we can have subtle distinctions of inferiority and superiority. You will never find that in Paul. There is one authority. And he is an apostle of his. So when we get to the second word of Galatians, we go from Paul, and then we immediately have this notion of him as an apostle. This means that he is a person, Paul, who bears a message. At its core, this word apostle means one who is sent. For us, we might more often think of this as an ambassador, someone who is sent to speak and to translate on behalf of another. When a king's messenger speaks The king's message, it is as if the words were spoken in the presence of the people to whom they are spoken by the king himself. These are not the messenger's words. These are royal decrees, if you're familiar with that terminology. Paul is a living, breathing person, a human born In time and space. But what he bears is a message that was given to him. And he never felt free to do with that message whatever he wanted. That is to say, the Apostle Paul in his apostolic ministry is a man under authority. He speaks at the king's request. He speaks the king's message. And he is to do it in a lofty and sacred way. I think some of this has gotten lost in the life of the church. I think for many of us, the gospel can be both overwhelmingly overwhelmingly large, and because of its size and its scope, we feel ill-equipped or unwilling to to wade into those heavy waters, to give to others for fear of being exposed or ridiculed, also for fear of not having the answers to the questions that someone else might ask you. I, at one point in time, doing college ministry years ago, took 2,000 surveys from students on college campuses all over the state of Virginia. The number one reason, and it wasn't close, that college students were unwilling or nervous about sharing their faith with other students, not even professors, was for fear of being asked a question they did not have an answer to. It's another way of saying they felt ill-prepared, ill-equipped. Paul, beginning his letter this way, is doing more than addressing to whom he is writing who he is. You ever received a letter from someone and not known who they were? Handwritten letter given to you specifically? I'm not talking about the current resident mailers we get and don't read. Sometimes I look at that pile of of media that gets sent my way, and I go, thank you for the privilege of walking over and dropping that in a trash can. (laughs) Unread, almost always. I'm probably the only one that's true for, but it is true. The apostle is identifying himself as an apostle so that everyone will remember it is not Him who speaks. It is him speaking on behalf of another. In the overlapping age of the early church, apostles were seen rightly in their lofty calling in a sacred office, which is another way of saying that Paul speaks as one with special authority an authority to speak in Christ's name. Who in your life is free to speak on your behalf? Better yet, who in your life not only is allowed to speak in your behalf, but is expected to do so in the most nuanced and controversial Of issues. I don't mean, no, Kevin's a Christian, not a Muslim. I don't mean, oh no, Kevin lives in Yorktown. All of you can say that for me. How many of you could say, this is Kevin's deepest fear? How many of you are then allowed on my behalf to speak for me in the conflicts Of my life. Do you have that certitude? Do you feel like you know me and my preferences, my desires, my mind, my affections so clearly, so distilled and pure that you would wade into the hardest of moments and speak on my behalf? You guys listen to me for an hour a week. Do you have the courage to speak entirely on my behalf? Now imagine Paul and the sheer audacity and loftiness of this calling. He says, Jesus says, he says the true and living God has spoken. These things are true and all other things are not. And then he puts God's name on it. Yahweh declares. Do you speak for God? Do you intimately know all that he prefers, all that he desires, all that he knows? This is a high and holy calling. He has special authority in this overlapping age to speak in Christ's Name. And that speaking has one clear, sustaining purpose it is for the guidance of the church. Paul's an apostle with the authority given to him to speak in Jesus' name for the guidance of the church. This is how you take communion. This is not, think Corinthians. You guys are doing this terribly. Here's the controversy of the churches in Galatia. Paul planted these churches. None of these churches existed without the missionary movement and calling of the Apostle Paul. And he spent significant time in these cities, in these villages, walking these roads. He has special authority in his day to speak in Christ's name for the guidance of the church. And that began during his life. And it continues even now. This letter speaks God's word to us. Now, many times, people will say, well, letters are written to a specific audience. Is this not true? And and in that way, they're often perceived, subconsciously or consciously, as a private letter. And I think there are some who look at these letters in the New Testament through that lens, These are private letters through which we can glean. I am here to tell you that this is a bountiful feast. You're not supposed to pick up the fray potatoes left in the periphery of the ground of these letters. Come and bake here. Come and sizzle and fry. Come and cut and dice. Prepare the bountiful meal that God has prepared for his people. It is a fresh taste of a coming banquet. Amen? This is not an ordinary or private letter. In fact, if you look at the end of verse 2, you see exactly to whom Paul writes this letter. Notice that the word is plural to the churches of Galatia. So let's do a quick geography lesson. These churches are found in southern Turkey. So if you think about the Mediterranean country of Turkey, and you look at the bottom of that turkey leg, I always think of it as a turkey leg. If you look at the bottom rim of that turkey leg, there's one access point in the middle by which you can go through the mountains Paul planted churches on the seaside and then also up through that ravine to churches on the main center of Turkey. At the time, they bore the name Galatia. So, Paul's given special authority to speak in Christ's name for the guidance of the church to many churches, all of whom he planted himself. He had company and brothers and friends. You note that in verse 2 here, and all the brothers who are with me, Paul is not a lone wolf. There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christianity. It does not exist. It will not survive. We need each other. By easy application, that means that you only use the live stream when you really need to. It's not a coin flip to go or to stay. We need your eyes and your smile. We need your hugs and your voice for us to fulfill our calling because it's not an individual calling, it's a communal calling. Paul, as an apostle, speaks in the name of Christ, and we call the message itself good news. That's what the word gospel means. Good news. And I think for most of us, when we consider what it means that the gospel is good news, we think it is. That is a good news among other good newses. My kids are getting married. That's really good news. But it's not better news than that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, was raised according to the scripture, and reigns even now in our place. The message of the gospel, I have said a few times before, I have no better news for you. If you can't get jazzed that God stepped into the world that he created, if it doesn't overwhelm you that God left the palace of praise where eternally angels of his creation sang his glorious praises all day, every day, knowing no physical limitation, no hunger, no weakness, no desire for sleep or drink, And sleeping and drinking leads to restroom time in the morning. God didn't have to do any of that stuff. He passed through the glorious gates of heaven to come and take on flesh. This isn't an idea. This isn't an untrue fable. This isn't some morality myth by which you learn to sacrifice as he did. This is a rescue operation that was executed by execution that leads to salvation and redemption for all of God's people. I have no better news for you than that God has made a way for his people to be in his presence in a world so thoroughly renovated and renewed that there is no more sin, no more sorrow, the finger of God wiping away the final tears of your life, to live in a paradise you long for but can't find here and now. These letters were written to be read publicly and repeatedly over and over again in the church. They were to be read publicly. This is not private info. And repeatedly, you'll never get all of this in one shot or 10 shots. You could read this letter every day for the rest of your life, and your life would be better and better and better. In your curiosity and in your understanding, you would learn better questions to ask, and God would provide even better answers. You will never swim to the bottom of this ocean. So we will go slow. We will repeat elements and verses along the way. We will navigate this together. But it also comes with a few warnings. Our time spent here in Galatians, my goal is to produce a clarity of these doctrines. Because in a very real way, clarity of doctrine, excuse me, clarity of doctrine requires that the truth is both well explained and made easy to understand. Clarity of doctrine means... That there is a requirement that the truth presented is both well explained and made easy to understand. In other words, to have a clarity of communication requires effort on the communicator. But it also requires effort on the recipient of that communication. Another way to think of this. The gospel has at its core unpopular elements. Unpopular elements. Listen to J. Gresham Machen. Machen writes this. All definition is by way of exclusion. You cannot possibly say clearly what a thing is without contrasting it with what it is not. I'll give you that again. All definition is by way of exclusion. You cannot possibly say clearly what a thing is without contrasting it with what it is not. In other words, Paul will be speaking clearly in this letter. But it's for our good. He's a man who's been given a message and an audience and he sees himself under that authority, under that calling that he would guide the church and that guidance, as every parent knows, as every boss knows, as every manager knows, Every teacher or nurse knows that they have an obligation to say what is true, to act in the way of that truth, and also to confront error. If you're a doctor and you watch a nurse grab the wrong medicine, put a needle in it, and draw it out in a syringe, are you free to say, meh, whatever? The stakes are too high, right? The stakes are too high. Do we really believe that human physical life is a more important thing to deal with no's and nots than eternal spiritual life is? This is unpopular, y'all. We live in a day and an age where we are told just do it the positive way. No? Just, just say it the way you want it to say. Just, just present the truth. Don't attack error. Paul will not agree with you. He won't. In this letter, Paul teaches us that to be faithful to our calling, it demands that we speak with an awareness of the gospel's divine authority. He was an apostle, capital A. We are ambassadors. The A may be lowercase, but the message remains the same. Every true Christian must learn to use the word no. Every true Christian must be willing to use the word not. To draw boundaries where God draws boundaries and to see beauty when God points to it saying, behold, beauty. Avoiding controversy is not... The same as seeking peace. Avoiding controversy is not the same as seeking peace. Real peace, lasting peace, requires clarity of definition, clarity of message, clarity of truth. Because there is one true and living King, there is one gospel. As we go further into the book of Galatians, you will see amazing truth. But it is not ambiguous truth. In other words, Paul will present an accuracy. An accuracy provides a freedom from ambiguity. Vagueness is often the tool of those who care more about gathering than they do the purpose for which they gather. R.C. Sproul once was invited to try and write some documents with world leaders and religions around the world. And he passed on the opportunity and he was asked about it in a public discourse later on a few years after that because they were surprised they had reached out. And R.C. Sproul tends to be one who is willing to stand when others sit, one who speaks with force and clarity, one of the great messengers of our era. He passed because he understood what I think in my youth and passion I did not yet comprehend. That they could indeed write an agreement but it would not be the agreement that had central elements to it they would find some vague way of expressing nothing relevant that everybody could sign and they call that unity it's not unity it's faux unity and we live in a day of faux don't we faux truth Foe, hope, foe, freedom. You will see a fiery tone in Paul as he deals with the conflicts that are already here in the churches of Galatia. That means that he will be direct. Paul will be very direct. If clarity requires accuracy, clarity also demands directness. Paul planted these children. We call them churches. Paul calls them children. He's in the pangs of childbirth that Christ would be formed in them. Paul sees himself as the delighting and decisively direct mother Correcting and teaching her children. There's a moment that I try not to go back to in Savannah's childhood. Savannah's my dear 16, almost 17-year-old daughter, and she loved to play growing up. She's a bit of an athlete. You get to know her. She loves to be moving. There was a moment when she was really young, where we were playing in the front yard We were kicking a ball and throwing it and running around and tackling and rolling in the grass, and all of a sudden, she miskicked, and the ball went into the street. You know where this story goes, yes? My heart choked in my throat as I watched Savannah joyfully and ignorantly run to go get the ball that is free to play with and pursue on the grass into the street. And as a good dad, I surveyed the scenario. Would there be no car? There would be no problem. She could get the ball, bring it back. I could say, hey, this is a boundary. Don't go running into the street. It could be dangerous. But that hypothetical danger I had wanted to talk about later became imminent in the moment. Two cars. We didn't just get one. Why would we just get one? We got two cars coming in opposite directions. And from my terrified vantage point, Savannah was in the targeted center of exactly when and where they would pass. Now, do I know that that happened? That that's true? That if nothing had happened, they would have passed through and met on Savannah? It's probably not good witness testimony because what was going through my heart was the thinking of a father, not a witness, not a bystander, not a stranger. I saw my beloved, gloriously beautiful girl running into the street with the innocence that you should expect from a kid her age, but I know that there's danger, so I howl probably as much in terror as in urgency. Stop! Freeze! And in a moment of glorious grace and eternal mercy, she froze, let the ball continue its trickle further down the road. One car clearly had seen her and was already slowing down. But there was another car, In my eyes, it was a millimeter. In reality, it was probably a few feet. But it was not stopping. I'm not sure it was aware that she had just stopped at my command. And the car passed past her. I thought my heart fell to my feet. I almost fainted, if I'm honest. And she turns around with tears from a lawfully obedient kid who thinks she did something terribly, horribly, morally wrong. If you know Savannah, she's pretty conscientious about her righteousness. She doesn't want to do anything wrong. It's hard to explain to a little kid how she just saved her own life by her obedience. I was powerless to stop what was coming. I could only declare the warning Give the command that was necessary for obedience and pray that God would make her safe. If you can imagine the feelings of a father in that moment and the terror of a daughter, now add that this life is a vapor and the eternal life is forever. I'm not Gnostic. I don't think the flesh is bad and the spirit is great. I think that God has told us that these truths have boundaries and that those boundaries are for your protection and safety and for the flourishing of humanity. Paul feels the pain of these children, these churches that he has planted. And as the songwriter Bono has said, He always wanted to begin his songs in the middle of a conflict. He thought everybody got all riled up and curious. If you begin the song in the middle of the conflict, then you get to flash backwards in a later verse, and then forward and resolve it, and everybody's gotten this great emotional roller coaster. He laughed. It sells albums, y'all, not just songs. Begin in the middle of a conflict. Paul writes this letter, in the middle of conflict. He has planted these churches. He has given them accurate and clear teaching. And he's responding to their error. He's responding to the false teachers who have infiltrated. There's another element to the clarity with which Paul speaks. He speaks with certainty. A certainty that we lack in conviction at times. There is one true God. There is one true faith. One true gospel message. There is one good news. And all others are not. Not. This third word in the Greek of Galatians. Paul. Apostle. Not. He draws the boundary. Where did he come from? Who is he? What's true and what's not true. There's a certainty that should come in our proclamation of the gospel. One true God, one true faith, one true gospel message. And he bears in his body and in his voice that message. And it means that along with the accuracy, directness, certainty, there is also a purity of his thought. A purity because there are false teachers. Just as there is a true God and he speaks on his behalf, there are false teachers representing false gods. And they have a false or technically what he says is a non-gospel. A non-gospel. In other words, Paul is free to do what we often shrink back from address error, error in thought, error in life. You will see quickly that Paul is not interested in the pleasantries of a normal greeting. This letter is fire. Y'all, you have no idea. This letter is fire. It's fire because it begins in the middle of a conflict. There are churches who have known the truth and are walking away. It's not just ritualistically walking away. It's not just, hey, there's a better way to do this. It is, uh, this is the holy way and all others are no. All others are not. We have often understood, I think in our culture, that clarity often allows your message to be understood by the person receiving it. And that if the message is not clear, people misunderstand you. Right? You guys have had conflicts over this. You can't be married a month and not have conflicts like this. They're petty and cute or whatever. Right, James? (laughs) They're not all petty and cute. That means you guys are doing the good hard work. But sometimes clarity prevents conflict. This is what I'm saying. I'm not saying these things. Sometimes clarity reveals existing conflicts and seeks to address them. This will very much be the latter. Paul is walking into the conflicts in these churches because they're the same. So for all the fiery tone... He's speaking directly to people he knows and loves, and the formalities go sideways. Can you imagine if I had looked at Savannah and said, Hey, dearest of mine, I would like to address an issue concerning your current location and behavior. It's ridiculous, right? Paul's jumping into the conflict because they're engaged in the midst of danger. A danger that is destroying what God has created, corrupting and corroding that which God had blessed and given. He's going to throw the pleasantries out the window because he is willing to use words like no, non, and not. He's going to wade into controversy, but he's going to do it with clarity, directness, accuracy, and, are you ready? Gentle truthfulness at times. Sometimes he will shout it. Sometimes he will whisper it. You will hear sharp and clear warnings as to both doctrine and behavior. But you will also hear a clear presentation of glorious promises and glorious truths. And that means that faithfulness to our calling demands that we listen with an awareness of the gospel's divine authority. And that we speak upon hearing with that same awareness of the gospel's divine authority. We bear the king's message. It's awesome. We are equipped with the no better news for the nations to hear and receive. Men and women and children from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, being told the core truth that God made a world and we broke it. And Jesus fixes it. And one day soon he'll remake it. And you'll also see Paul talk about that one day soon. This letter is about the truth of the doctrinal convictions of justification, sanctification, adoption. It's going to be filled with things like eschatology. I promise you I will define the vocab along the way. But make no mistake. The demand of Paul entering the conflicts of these churches is equally to be heard by us in such a way that we too will enter into the conflicts and controversies of our day, seeking that the peacemaker would be known, not the peace imitator would be developed. Brothers and sisters, we must speak Without equivocation, we must speak with bravery, a bravery that stands against sin and error, not because of our inherent obedience. That would make us hypocrites, demanding from others that which we will not provide from ourselves. Instead, we stand against sin and error as ones who have lived in that sin and believed and known a life immersed in error. This epistle is no ordinary letter. Y'all, this letter is fire. It's fire because it burns away chaff, it's fire because it's pure and hot. It's fire because it will cook the meals that we spend digging out of it. It is fire because every time this letter has been a focus among churches around the world throughout the history from like 48 AD to now, this letter has never been challenged by any serious scholar. Paul wrote this. It is a more certain fact than almost anything else in all of human history. More copies of this passed everywhere, far beyond the reaches of the churches of Turkey. This letter ignited the early church until, at a time later, all of its core elements were built and and discussed and debated and not adjusted but added to along the way. In Romans, I'm telling y'all, this is the purity of Romans without the wisdom of interacting in these thoughts for like 10 or 15 years. Galatians is a skeleton upon which the flesh of Romans is hung. And you will see the overlaps if you look in the progressional argumentation to be found here. But the point is not how much fun it is to see Galatians and then see Romans. The point is that Galatians tells you the truth about a king who has come and made himself known, has borne on his shoulders the life and the death and the penalties that you deserve, that you would receive the freedom, the joy, and the peace with God that you could never achieve for yourself. We are ambassadors of that truth. And when that truth is rightly grasped, it's wildfire burning through continents in the time of the Reformation. It took about 20 years for all of Europe to move from totally Roman Catholic to Protestant, 20 years This was the most published letter in its day. In the life of the early church, this thing was fire. At the time of the Reformation, this thing is fire. And in my early study of the Christian life found in the New Testament, Galatians was the rock upon which I curled up to when I was confused in any other place. I love this book. I want you to love this book only in so far that it loves the Lord who gives us with clarity and power, in mercy and love. May we all be consumed by the fire of God's holy truth, the fire of true Christian love, which says yea and amen and says, no, don't. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're grateful this day that you have given us apostles, that you have given authority to speak in your name, and that you spoke so authoritatively that your words were perfectly given and perfectly preserved. Father, we thank you that we are not ashamed of the gospel, that it is in our esteem what it is in yours. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Father, come, come and make yourself known. Come and give us patience and persistence. Father, may we heed the sharpened, clear warnings and may we adore the clear and glorious promises. Father, make us men and women and children who are faithful to the calling that you have given, that we would hear first and speak also with an awareness of the gospel's divine authority. We love you, Lord. Make yourself known to us, we ask in Jesus' name, and all God's people agree.